And Jesus' face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. It's not a comforting image, actually. It's very um, uncomfortable and leads to, to disorientation. We should know this out west, we who live on higher elevations, closer to the sun, we're closer to it, and it's not cut by the humidity like it is in other parts of the country that I know better, which means that the sun can be blinding and uncomfortable and too close and too powerful. That's a part of what's going on in this incredible story. Peter and James and John are disoriented by what they see and by what they hear in this story. Part of what's going on is that light is, of course, a symbol of divinity, a symbol for what is is heavenly and enlightening. We see this in the first story about Moses going up on Mount Sinai, and what happens on Mount Sinai is the glory of the Lord appeared like a devouring fire. That's the divine fire, the divine light that is uncomfortable and too much when we get too close to it. And here in this gospel reading, that's a part of what's being alluded to, not explained, but alluded to. Um, Jesus, whose flesh and blood is just like ours. Jesus, whose hopes and dreams are similar to our own. This same Jesus is a, a conduit, a portal an image of the heavenly light, and it's too much. It's disorienting, even as it is enchanting and draws us close. The story of the transfiguration is is just fascinating, but it's also a story that needs to be, for it to be intelligible and, and coherent and related to our own experience, it's a story that probably needs to be demystify just a little bit or perhaps a lot. I thought a lot about all of this this week and had a kind of transfiguration experience. I went back to Memphis, Tennessee to the parish and the school where I served before coming here because um, we had the, the death of our organist and a colleague that Broderick and I are very close to And I was um, lucky enough to be able to go back for the service. Wesley Emerson, God rest his soul, is that organist. He served that parish and school for 30-something years, which means he was an institution within two institutions. His service was absolutely beautiful and and, and packed to the rafters. we sang, when we sang two of the hymns in the leaflet it had printed that we were going to sing um, the descants that Wesley had written. And, and the place just soared. And there was just so, I mean, you could just feel that when you're singing those descants that he had written. There was a lot of levity. Wesley, this organist, was a nut. He had a ridiculous and irreverent sense of humor. There's so many stories I could tell you, but they're not appropriate. Someone sent 
and this was t- totally meant to be funny, and everyone knew it was funny. Someone sent a tacky arrangement of flowers, the tackiest arrangement you've ever seen in your life, and it had the tackiest ribbon across it. And when you looked into the tacky flowers, you saw uh, what looked to be a, it was a cardboard cutout of an iPhone. And in the tackiest gold letters across that tacky ribbon, it said, Jesus called. <laughs> and Wesley answered. <laughs> Everybody knew it was funny. They, the church even put it up on its Instagram page. Um, it was a lot of depth, too. A lot of depth. Wesley having been there for 30 years, he he was openly gay and helped that parish and that school wrestle with all that 30-something years ago and listen to their kinder angels and make a decisive stand. And the, the parish for decades has benefited from their vision to be welcoming and inclusive of all. While I was there, Wesley went into recovery for alcoholism. Everybody there knew this. And he came back from that harrowing experience a wiser and more whole person. Those of you in recovery know, he learned how to put one step in front of other, following those steps day by day, trusting in a higher power and trusting in his own story. And sharing and listening to those companions in AA with him. What was so powerful and kind of the culmination of of all of it. The the retired bishop preached and the old bishop knew Wesley well. And he he talked about all this and told all these stories. And everybody was gathered there grieving. And the, the sermon reached this crescendo. And this is what the old bishop said. He said, Wesley wrestled with demons and danced with God. You could feel it. Just that one sentence summarized what we had all experienced for 30-something years. Up close and personal, Wesley wrestled with demons and danced with God. For all of us gathered there and all of us who had really had our hearts into it, it was a moment of transfiguration. Those words... Because what they did is they, they shed light upon, um, helped us to see below the surface of what we had all experienced in such an up-close and personal way. That's exactly what had been going on for those three decades. If you could look below the surface of this organist's life, he had been wrestling and he had been dancing with the divine It was also a powerful moment to think about that that's exactly what transfiguration light is all about. That light really shines upon our own living, upon our own dying, upon our own rising. It's not something separate from our very ordinary stories. This gospel reading and vision is very much so associated with the words, a few words. A heavenly voice that speaks about Jesus' identity. And then Jesus' own words. And there are 
two do nots. Thou shalt not. The first is perhaps the easiest to understand and the most difficult to live or abide by. Do not be afraid. I often think of these words that are so often on Jesus' lips being the flip side, the shadow side of Jesus telling us that he loves us unconditionally and eternally. The flip side, the underside of that is do not be afraid. And it's hearing and trusting Jesus that helps us over time with fits and starts let go of our fears. The second do not is a little more on the surface confusing. Um, as they're coming down from the mountain, Jesus tells those three companions, do not talk about this until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Don't talk about it. It's a curious Thing. And there's no footnote to explain why he doesn't want them to talk about this. The most obvious reason he doesn't want them to talk about it is because if they don't have the complete story, the whole story through resurrection, they might be, and the church by extension, might be tempted to make too much of this experience, of this divine light, of this mountaintop experience. They might overemphasize it and neglect the rest of the story. If one thinks about it, for example, Jesus' face is always shining. In the healings, especially of children and those who suffer, Jesus' face is shining. In the feeding of the thousands, his clothes are dazzling white. In the parables or stories about the heavenly being found in the commonplace in the midst of our own stories Jesus's face is shining in his grief over the death of Lazarus his face is shining in words about I will be with you always there is nowhere you can go even to the end of the ages I am with you in the depths of who you are and where you shall go Jesus's face is shining and when you and I trust these words and in the core of our being trust that Jesus the Christ is with us, our face shines too. And perhaps that's the reason why Jesus or this gospel writer was adamant not to talk too much about it because they were concerned that if we became too enamored with the vision of Jesus, we might forget to look at our own reflection, to look in the mirror or in the face of our neighbor's eyes and soul and see heavenly light.